Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Come on, boy, boy, can you get it up? Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. Lots of headlines. Magic Johnson sells his shares of the Lakers. Why? We'll give you our thoughts. That's coming up in headlines in our next segment. Then in segments three and four, we're blowing out the show this week. Mark Emmert, he's the president of the NCAA. He just took the job a few weeks ago, and we are going to talk with him about a plethora of different topics. The agent scandals. Why are programs penalized while the perpetrators go free? Why does college football leave its most profitable property on the table? These are all topics that we're going to tackle with Mark Emmert, the new president of the NCAA, coming up in segments three and four of today's show. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can become our Facebook friend or follow us on Twitter. Just look for the icons on the homepage of sportsbusinessradio.com. We're on iTunes. Find our popular iTunes podcast, sportsbusinessradio.com. You can link to that icon as well. I'm joined in studio by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, NBA season starts this week. All this hype about the Miami Heat and LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. I'm actually kind of excited for the NBA season to get underway. I'm excited too, and uh, already I'm, I'm watching Stoudemire. He has been phenomenal. I mean, 39 points, 36 points. He's blowing it up. It's What a big move for New York. I think they're going to be a team this year. Yeah, I think they will too, and uh, they're in the East, so that certainly helps, and it'll be interesting to see, can the Lakers three-peat? That's always interesting to watch. So the NBA season underway this Tuesday. Next, headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio headlines brought to you by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, this has been a controversy this week. The NFL is cracking down on illegal hits to the head, vowing to suspend players for infractions starting with this weekend's games. In the past, players were either fined or rejected for illegal hits. However, after a series of recent flagrant tackles, several of which resulted in concussions, the NFL ramped up the punishment. Football operations chief Ray Anderson indicated the suspensions could start immediately involving play from last weekend's game. However, uh, Greg Ayala with the NFL said the league wanted to give teams fair warning and would send a memo outlining the changes. Now, the NFL has already fined New England Patriots safety Brandon Merriweather and Atlanta Falcons cornerback Dante Robinson $50,000 each for hits last Sunday, and they also find James Harrison $75,000. He gave two concussions in that game to Cleveland Browns players. Uh, Brian Griggs, you know, here's the interesting thing with this, and I wrote about it on my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com this week. Number one, Players are getting faster. They're stronger. I don't know how you tell defensive players to go at half speed or to not be as aggressive as they are. We've heard from many defensive players this week that they don't like this rule one bit. I understand the hits to the head, and you want to do away with those, and you want to have firm penalties for people giving other people concussions. But I just think that, you know, like some of these players said this week, are we turning into the flag football league? I think Brian Urlacher, the Bears, said that. I don't know if this is such a great thing. Then the other thing is, the NFL is kind of contradicting themselves. They're saying, look, let's go to an 18-game season. So let's have two more opportunities every season where people can get hurt. I don't quite understand it. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I see why they're they're going at it and why they're doing this. But at the same time, it's like, you know, and how do you know when it's a, a legitimate, you know, hit like to the helmet like they tried to do it? Or what if the guy, the offensive player ducks and then he gets hit in the head? I mean, you can't really say, oh, that was an automatic hit to the head. I don't know. Now, the NFL made a mistake this week. These, this goes under the category of things that fall through the cracks when you implement a new rule quickly. Well, they had photos of Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker James Harrison's hit on Cleveland Browns receiver Muhammad Masakawi available for sale through its website, and they'll take the photos down. So Harrison was fined $75,000, but Griggs, the league, is selling pictures on their website of the crushing hit from Harrison. Doesn't yeah, make any sense. That doesn't work. Yeah, that, that's something that should have not happened because it, especially when they're trying to make the, the new rules and everything, not a good move by the NFL. Well, it's going to be taken down immediately and uh, I bet now that probably won't happen again. Sticking in the NFL, our next headline, the meeting between Minnesota Vikings quarterback Brett Favre and NFL Vice President for Security Milt Ulrich has been completed. The NFL wanted to meet with Favre over allegations that he sent lewd photos and inviting text messages and voicemail to a female employee of the New York Jets two years ago, back when both were with the franchise. Well, this employee, Jen Sturger, has hired lawyers at LaRusso and Conway to represent her in the Favre matter moving forward. 
All right, I'm probably going to anger some people by saying this, but here's something I don't understand. This took place a few years ago. I understand it's just now making news. The Deadspin.com story broke. It's more on the front pages than it was a few years ago. But if Jen Sturger had a problem with these things, and she should have, why didn't she file a grievance and retain legal counsel then? Why is it taking two years for her to do it now? I just don't think it makes her look good, Griggs. Yeah, I think this is another one of those, hey, I'm in the spotlight now. Maybe I can get a book deal, make some money. It's just weird. I agree with you. It's like, why does this not come out? Especially if you're a woman, wouldn't you think this happens? You go tell somebody right when it happens. Why wait You know, a couple years? I don't get it. Right. And obviously, if this did happen, it should be upsetting to her. But my point is, she should have retained legal counsel when it happened instead of waiting for two years when it became a story and it's in the media. And now the focus is on the story and she can go, well... Geez, maybe I can make more money today than I would have two years ago. Our next headline, Fox's broadcast of the Dallas Cowboys-Minnesota Vikings game last Sunday, the Panic Bowl, earned a 17.4 overnight Nielsen rating. That's the highest mark for any Sunday NFL game this season. The game was broadcast to 96% of the country. And, you know, we should add this, Griggs, that the NFL is crushing Major League Baseball playoffs in TV ratings. Now, we're going to get to something in a moment with the cable vision and how people in New York haven't been able to get Fox, which does affect the ratings. But in general, the NFL has shown again this week they are the dominant sports property on TV, even Major League Baseball playoffs. NFL is beating them by almost a 2-1 to one margin. And that game, Minnesota and Dallas, was two losing teams with losing records. And they marketed it, and everybody watched it, and then it killed all the ratings. It's crazy. For the record, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think this Sunday night's game on NBC, Packers, Vikings, Favre against his old team, big game. I think that, when we talk next week on the show, will probably steal the title of highest rated NFL game of the year so far. Our next headline, about 3 million Cablevision subscribers in the New York area have been without Fox programming since last Saturday, preventing fans from watching the Lions-Giants NFL game last Sunday and the Giants-Phillies NLCS. Now, TV analysts have wondered aloud whether the two media giants could drag out the fight until the start of the World Series, which Fox will begin broadcasting on October 27th. We will see. The blackout for Cablevision customers included the main Fox station in the New York area, as well as a smaller station, the Fox station in Philadelphia, and several other cable networks owned by News Corp including Fox Deportes. Cablevision has said it already pays News Corp more than $70 million a year for its channels and that News Corp is demanding more than $150 million a year for the same programming. Again, this falls under the, I don't want to see the labor pains, just give me the baby. People in New York and people in Philadelphia are irate that they are not able to watch NFL games or Major League Baseball playoffs. And the fans don't want to hear all the arguing. They don't want to read about the rhetoric in the in the media. They just want a deal done. But these two giant corporations are arguing, and I don't know that it gets done anytime soon. And that's two huge markets, too. I mean, it's not like you got 10 people that aren't seeing the game. We're right. talking hundreds of thousands of people that are pissed because they can't see their game. Yeah. So that better get resolved quickly, or uh, there's going to be a lot of people uh, changing how they watch TV.
All right, our next headline. Basketball Hall of Famer and Lakers investor Magic Johnson has sold his share of the team to Dr. Patrick Soon-Shung for an undisclosed price. But some people say that it's more than $27 million. Magic Johnson owns 4.5% of the team. He bought the team in 1994 for a reported $10 million. Now, there's a lot of people wondering, why did Magic Johnson sell his shares of the Lakers this week? But... Literally two days after he sold his shares of the Lakers, this according to Brad Turner of the LA Times, he sold another of his successful business ventures. A source said that Johnson has divested his interest in Starbucks, selling 105 of the franchises back to the company. So a source close to Johnson said his liquidating his assets doesn't indicate he's interested in pursuing another NBA team right now, but he does have an eye toward acquiring something in sports in the future. The source said the two sales combined were worth $100 million to Johnson. This definitely is a story that warrants paying attention to in the future because Magic Johnson loves the Lakers. If he's selling his interest in the Lakers, if he's selling these 105 Starbucks franchises, either he's in on another NBA team or, I'm going to throw this out there, is Magic Johnson part of an ownership group that's bringing NFL football to Los Angeles? You can bet one thing. He's in on some sports group somewhere, and we'll watch that closely. Some people had said he'd be in on the Detroit Pistons with Mike Illich. Maybe, but he's in on something somewhere. He's not just selling all of this because it's a good time to sell because it's actually not. Our final headline of the week, Vizio is going to be the new presenting sponsor for the Rose Bowl from 2011 to 2014 when the college football game celebrates its 100th anniversary. This according to the AP. The game is going to be known as the Rose Bowl game, presented by Vizio. The four-year deal includes sponsorship of the BCS National Championship game in 2014. That game will be called the 2014 Vizio BCS National Championship game. And one other quick note, Michigan and Alabama will meet at Cowboys Stadium in Arlington, Texas to open the 2012 college football season. This according to the Detroit Free Press. I love it when big programs like that get together and meet up on the field. Coming up, the new president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. My conversation with him next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. This is 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% pain, 100% reason to remember the name. He doesn't need his name up in lights. He just wants to be heard, whether it's the beat of the mic. Feels so unlike everybody else alone In spite of the fact that some people still think that they know But no, he knows the code It's not about the salary It's all about reality and making some noise Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way And reach their target audience Sports Business Radio can help you though Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports 
in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Emmert is the fifth chief executive in the NCAA's history and the second in succession to come from the ranks of school presidents. Indiana's Miles Brand served six and a half years prior to his death from pancreatic cancer. Emmert was the president at the University of Washington since 2004 and before that served as the chancellor at LSU and Connecticut. Mark, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. So you've been on the job for just a few weeks. Earlier this month, you told the Associated Press the first order of business is to meet everyone in the office, get out there, start listening to the constituents and hearing what their concerns and ideas are. What have you learned so far? Well, first of all, after a couple of weeks, I have had a chance to uh, to get to know all the people of the of the uh, NCA National Office, and and I've been I've been very impressed, Brian, with the quality of the people here, their commitment to uh, to intercollegiate athletics and the, the work ethic they have. It's just a great place. I couldn't be more pleased with that. Then I've started to uh, to move around the countryside a little bit and and talk to some folks and meet with those committees that come in here. Uh, you, you learn firsthand the passion people have for intercollegiate athletics. The, the issues that they're raising with me are pretty much the ones that uh, everyone's familiar with around uh, concern about student-athlete experience and student-athlete well-being and, and then, of course, issues around oh, the sustainable, financial sustainability of the enterprise. Uh, there's some anxiety, of course, around some of the conference realignments, all, all the issues that you and your colleagues have been writing about. You left your dream job at the University of Washington, your alma mater. How difficult of a decision was that for you? Well, interestingly, the decision to say yes to the NCAA was an easy one because the job's so exciting and, and just a, a wonderful opportunity. The decision to say goodbye to the UW, that was uh, brutal. Uh, I, I love the university deeply. I'm incredibly proud of it. It's uh, in a place that will always be my wife's and my uh, home. But, you know, after six and a half years, I was pleased with what we'd gotten done. I was proud of our accomplishments. I had in place a leadership team that I have great confidence in. So it, it, it felt pretty good when I finally got around to doing it. But it was hard to get myself there. Yeah, I mean, you did a fantastic job, I think, at the University of Washington. When you came on the job, the athletic department was scandal-ridden. It was on probation. What steps did you take to clean up the program? I mean, that's not an easy situation to come into. It was very, it was very uh, disturbing for everybody that loves the university to see what had gone on there. And, and there were a number of problems also over on the academic side. And I think universities are not fundamentally different than any other big enterprise. You, you have to work to start to change the culture. You've got to make some leadership changes. You've got to put uh, confidence in the people that are there and let them know that they're valued. Uh, and so in the athletic department, you know, 95% of all the people that were there were great folks, and they'd been pretty well beaten up. There were some cultural issues. Uh, I made some leadership changes in key positions and uh, supported them, and, and all of a sudden we were on the right track again. 
So it sounds like your management style is more uh, hands-off. Get the right people in place, put them in the right positions, and then let them do their job. Is that accurate? Yeah, and, and then make sure that everybody knows what you want to accomplish, what the goals and objectives are, and then uh, hold each other mutually accountable. Yeah, I think that's right. I'm joined by Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. He's been on the job for only a few weeks. Let's talk about some of the challenges that lie ahead for you. Your old colleague at the University of Washington Athletic Director, Scott Woodward, was recently quoted in the USA Today saying, the NCAA is worried about abiding by jaywalking rules when we have serial killers on the loose. I think Mark understands there are a lot of people out there who really need to be looked at and scrutinized. And instead of the NCAA worrying about how many text messages a coach sent to a kid, we need to catch the guys who are doing really bad stuff. On that point, I think you'll see some radical changes. Mark, over the past few months, things have changed significantly with the NCAA cracking down on improper contact and relationships between agents and student-athletes. We've seen high-profile programs such as USC, North Carolina, Falter. There's a piece in this week's edition of Sports Illustrated where former sports agent Josh Lux confesses to paying as many as 30 college athletes, describes the influence agents have over college athletes and their inner circles. Might we see you expand your enforcement staff in an effort to solve this problem or at least make it better? Well, I haven't made any decisions about uh, expanding staff in that arena, but I, I'm very pleased with that work that's been going on to try and tackle the, the agent issue. It's, it's a very good example of, of the complexity of some of the challenges that we face, and the only way you can really get at the root causes of those issues is is through collaboration with uh, a variety of folks. The NCAA can't do it alone. We have to have support of, the, of professional sports and the players associations and of the coaches and of the, the many, many agents who, who are very good actors and for whom this is a very important profession. Uh, and, and then, of course, we have to also hold student athletes accountable for their behavior. And, and so what we, what we need to do is, uh, to go back to my good friend Scott Woodward's uh, uh, flowery quote, is we do have to focus on the big picture and, and take on these issues but bring other people into the fold and try and get behavioral change to occur. It's not just about enforcement. It's also about education. It's about making sure that we're rewarding the right kind of behavior and punishing the wrong kind of behavior. Uh, it's going to take a, a systemic approach to really make progress. Well, I totally agree with you on engaging uh, organizations like the NFL Players Association, the NBA Players Association. This quote from Steelers coach Mike Tomlin last Friday to the Pittsburgh Gazette, if we really want to sink some teeth into the situation, we'd have lifetime decertification for agents who offer money or had people who work for them offered money. I would think that a quote like that gets some people's attention and gets people to the table to talk about who are some of these agents that are being certified because I've said on this show for a long time I think it's too easy to be certified as an agent and that's why you see some bad agents out there. Yeah, I think that the the uh, comments like that, the uh, actions of the NCA in recent months, uh, the uh, attention that a number of uh, leading college coaches have given to it, uh, our, our conversations with uh, Commissioner Goodell, for example, in dealing with the football issues, all of that is adding to a sense of seriousness of purpose here that I'm very pleased with. You've got compliance officials at the schools, but you've got so many athletes at each school, and in most cases, a small number of compliance officers, and frankly, a lot of the coaches 
and the people who work in the athletic department, they run down the hall when the compliance officer's coming their way. They just really don't want to talk to them. What do you do about getting the compliance officers to feel more comfortable with the people that they're trying to help and vice versa? Well, as, it, as is always the case at a university, just like any other kind of enterprise, it, it starts at the top. You have to have presidents who are engaged in intercollegiate athletics. They have to understand what this uh, enterprise is all about. They've got to uh, work with their athletic directors and make sure the athletic directors understand uh, what kind of culture and behavior they want to see. And then the ADs have to work with the coaches and the compliance officers to make sure that they've got a positive, constructive working relationship. Uh, there's a lot of really good examples out there of best practices where the compliance officers uh, aren't the, uh, just the cop on the beat, but there's somebody who's working with the coaches all the time saying, all right, what do you want to get done here, and how can we make sure that this, this happens within the, the rules of the NCAA? And when you see that going on, then you've got a program that's going to be run well. And uh, there's many, many good examples of that. We just need more of them. We're joined by Mark Emmert. He's the new president of the NCAA. Mark, the Reggie Bush penalties at USC kind of brought a familiar resolution. Student-athletes left behind pay the price while the perpetrator goes free. The same thing happens with college coaches whose programs incur penalties. Then the coach goes to another university to start with a clean slate. Doesn't there have to be a better way? And, And I know you're new on the job, but I would think this is an issue that has also captured your attention. Yeah, of course it is. You, you want to make sure that what you're doing is, is encouraging uh, the right kind of behavior and punishing the wrong kind of behavior. So holding, holding institutions, universities accountable is a, is a good thing in the sense that everyone needs to understand the seriousness of, of these issues. And, and then you start to shape a culture inside a university where, where good behavior goes on. And so I've been very pleased, for example, with what I've seen from the new president and new athletic director at USC. They seem very serious about this, and uh, I think we're going to see a, a really big uh, change of, of uh, culture there, and that's, that's a good thing. Uh, you, you also, though, do need to recognize that uh, we need – uh, some vehicle within which we can we can hold the people accountable who uh, who engage in that behavior. Once they leave college, the college ranks, uh, the NCAA's arms don't reach that far, and so that's where we need cooperation and help from uh, people in professional athletics and in other parts of uh, the sports enterprise. I've got an idea for you. I want to get your, your thoughts on this. So if you're a college coach, you leave a program, the program goes on probation, and you stay within the college ranks. There's nothing you can do about the Pete Carrolls who go to the NFL, at least as far as I know. Give them a driver's license like document. If you have a driver's license and you speed or you get a parking ticket or you have any kind of a violation, it goes on your record. If you did this with coaches, then maybe there's some sort of a penalty that they can carry with them from one school to the next, and then it's going to make that school that's hiring them think twice about hiring them, thus penalizing them, because they can't just leave the, the problem and go to start with a clean slate. What do you think of that idea? Well, as you know, the NCAA does, uh, under certain conditions, uh, ask for and and does receive um, uh, uh, suspensions of coaches from various activities, and so the uh, the NCAA does go after coaches. But you know, the idea of of uh, coaches being held accountable for academic performance over you know their their career as well as their compliance with the rules, I think is is an issue that's well worth talking about. 
uh, and, uh, and it's the kind of conversation I'd certainly welcome inside the association. More of my conversation with NCAA President Mark Emmert coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is SBR. Back with more after this. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Now back to my conversation with NCAA President Mark Emmert. Larry Fitzgerald, the wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals, said last week he probably built the school library and paid for the salaries of 100 professors. This was his comment on the revenue that Tim Tebow has generated for the University of Florida. That was what he told the Arizona Republic. And then, you know, we see the NCAA has signed a 14-year, $10.8 billion TV deal for the men's basketball tournament. Is it time to start paying college athletes? And if, if we don't pay them, should there be a different sort of system for athletes with how they're compensated? Uh, no, we absolutely should not uh, pay student athletes because, uh, as the title student athletes suggests, they're not employees. You know, they're, they're students, they're at the university to participate in their sport, most certainly, but also to be a part of that campus and to get an education. Uh, they are supported uh, in everything that they want to do. They're provided with an opportunity to excel in their sport with great coaching and great facilities and a great competitive opportunity. They're provided with uh, remarkable educational opportunities and terrific support for that. Uh, the, the relationship simply has to be one of a student and an institution, not of an employer and an employee. Uh, is there a chance that we should, or an opportunity for us to think about the size of their financial aid package, their grant and aid, to make sure that we are covering the full cost of attendance? Well, sure, that might be something worth, worthy of discussion. Uh, but the reality is that uh, that we should not uh, should not in any fashion be paying uh, students to to be uh, members of teams. There's a huge a huge misperception about what goes on with the money that comes into intercollegiate athletics. You know, very very few, uh, somewhere around 20 or fewer universities at any given year uh, have uh, enough revenue to cover all of the costs of their athletic programs. Uh, the the $10.8 billion contract that the NCAA signed is, of course, over 14 years. Uh, and m when you look at the money that flows back to those universities and supports the championships for the student-athletes, uh, more than 95% uh, of all the resources flow back out to the institutions, and the NCAA just passes that money through in, 
in cash and in services back to the institutions. Uh, but, but you know, people see those kind of numbers and think that there's some big cash cow here, and that's just not the case. I, I promise you, Tim Tebow, for all of his wonderful talents, did not build the library at the University of Florida. <laughs> see, but that's, you know, you hit it on the head. I think that's one of your biggest challenges, and it's been a challenge of the NCAA for a long time when the common person sees, oh, the NCAA signed a 14-year, $10.8 billion TV deal. They go, wow, that's not amateur athletics. That's big business. But you guys are trying to tell us that, hey, this money is being filtered back into the schools. And I think people forget, I, I talked to Dr. Brand about this, that this is paying for golf. This is paying for lacrosse. This is paying for soccer and the other non-revenue generating sports. And that's that's a lot of money to run all of those sports as well. Well, that's exactly right. And, and you know that's why there's only about uh, 20 or so schools in the country that actually break even in sports. Everybody thinks that that uh, college sports are a huge cash cow for universities, and in all but a few exceptions, they, they actually require infusions of cash. And so the, the real question for university presidents is more on the sustainability of the enterprise, not how do we milk this thing for money. It's, it's ironic that uh, presidents are worrying about exactly the opposite of what the, uh, the, the sports viewing public is worried about. And what is that? Well, and that's the sustainability of it financially, that these you know, if you look at, uh, it's been well publicized now, University of California, Berkeley, uh, they had something like a 10 to $15 million annual shortfall in their athletic budget. So they're eliminating four or five sports right now and trying to figure out how do I deal with this big shortfall. Well, here's a famous program playing in the Pac-10, uh, participates in, in uh, all of the TV revenue, and, and yet the cost of the programs uh, still draws from the rest of the university, not the other way around. Well, and maybe that's why you have commissioners like Pac-10 Commissioner Larry Scott out there trying to form super conferences so they can go out and make an even bigger media deal, TV deal, so there's more money and programs like that don't have to be cut, right? Yeah, I mean, part of the uh, conference alignment structure and a variety of other things is at least in part about about money. There's no doubt about that, and, and every conference wants to position themselves as effectively as they can. I think people also overestimate the, uh, the, the role of money in all of those decisions because having sat in those conversations in several different conferences, uh, the universities also worry about who are their peers, who's in their, who's in their uh, uh, intellectual and academic peer group. Uh, they, they want to be associated with the right schools. And so if you look at a, uh, any of the moves that have occurred recently, a, a significant part of that was schools saying, we want to be affiliated with those, with those other universities for academic as well as athletic reasons. And uh, that's, a, that's a big motivation for university presidents. We've got just a few minutes left with Mark Emmert. He is the new president of the NCAA. Mark, there's a new book out. It's called Death to the BCS. The book questions many things about the current system in Division I college football, but one of the main questions for many is why the NCAA would outsource its most profitable product, postseason football. There's no other sports entity that contracts out its postseason. Seemingly, you're leaving a lot of money on the table in a day and age when, like we just talked, programs are having to cut sports. Why doesn't the NCAA organize postseason football like it does with NCAA men's and women's basketball and even in other divisions of college football? Yeah, well, first of all, the, the decisions about, about uh, the, the postseason in football are made at the local institutional level. Individual presidents and the conferences 
uh, have decided long ago that they wanted to play through the uh, through the bowl system. You know, we've never had a championship in Division One football, uh, and there's, a, as you know, of course, a deep commitment to those relationships with those bowls. Uh, student athletes like the participation in the bowls. They all like the opportunity to play in the postseason. Uh, and the uh, the NCAA hasn't had a um, you know the same relationship with football as it has with other sports for 20 or 30 years, and, and and so every year we come up to this time of the season and we start looking at the BCS rankings and everybody gets anxious about it. Uh, there's a couple of good things that happen. One is we're all talking about college football. That's not, <laughs> that's not inherently bad. Right. Uh, and and secondly, you know, it it provides a lot of attention to who's winning and who's not around the uh, around the conferences and I think that's good. Uh, our position, my position at the NCAA is that this is going to be a decision that presidents are going to have to make. Uh, the NCAA, uh, we, we know how to run championships, we run 88 of them and if they want us to help them with some new structure we're more than happy to do so but the decisions to work through those bowl games weren't the NCAAs, that was something that was established by individual universities and conferences long ago. And I guess my question isn't as much about the system, a playoff versus uh, the current system. It's, again, you know, why doesn't the NCAA just say, like Greg Shaheen has been on this show, I think he does an unbelievable job with his staff that you have there in Indianapolis of running the college basketball men's and women's championships. Why doesn't the NCAA just do the same thing for, for football? Is it because your staff isn't big enough so you need to contract it out? It, that is kind of puzzling to me. Yeah, well, it's, it's not something that the NCAA on its own can decide. You have to remember that the NCAA is a volunteer association, and so our members, the presidents that run those sports, are the ones who actually make that decision. So when you, when you say the NCAA, of course, you mean all of the universities and colleges that are the members of it. And, uh, and, and so far, the presidents of Division I have decided they prefer the current bowl system to other structures. All right. Give us a glimpse of the human side of Mark Emmert. When you're not on the job, when you're out with your family, when you're strolling downtown Indianapolis, what do you like to do? Oh, I, I like to do most anything uh, outdoorsy. I, I love to fly fish and uh, spend time uh, on a golf course once in a while, not as much as, I, as I'd like to. And uh, I enjoy skiing and all kinds of outdoor recreation activities. I'm also a uh, sports car nut. I have an old Triumph TR6 that I enjoy spending time fiddling with and laying underneath and uh, trying to keep alive and well. Uh, and then, of course, you won't be surprised to learn I love intercollegiate sports. Yeah, I mean, you've always been on a college campus. Now you're not. Do you kind of miss that? Well, not yet. I'm sure there'll be a few days when I when I uh, just have to see college students. Unfortunately, the uh, the NCAA offices, as you know, uh, abut uh, a campus, so I can just stroll a few hundred yards and see college kids when I want to. <laughs> Your predecessor, last question, the late Dr. Miles Brand appeared on this show several times. I found him to be candid. I really enjoyed our conversations. He became known for academic reform. When you walk out of the doors of the NCAA offices one day for good, what do you want your legacy to be? Well, first of all, you know, the, the academic reform movement, uh, I, hope is, we, I hope we stop talking about it as reform, and I, thought we, I hope we start talking about it as simply the, the embedded culture of, of student-athletes, that 
we have complete and utter expectation of high academic performance. It's not something new, but it's, in fact, something that's just a continuation of all the things that we do. I hope that we have a set of rules and behaviors in place that uh, make sure that our student athletes are having very, very high quality experiences on their, on their campuses and in their competitive life, that uh, they are able to take full advantage of everything that a university has to offer. Uh, we, we had an event here last night where we named the, uh, the Woman Athlete of the Year, this incredible uh, swimmer from the University of Arizona who's also a Rhodes Scholar, and I, I was listening to her talk. and and I realize that she's the role model of what we want. I mean, not everybody's going to win a Rhodes Scholar, but she'd taken full advantage of everything that a great university can provide, and uh, that, that's what I want. I want more and more students to be able to walk away from intercollegiate athletics, having been able to develop their mind and their body the way that uh, we all uh, want them to do. Well, and I guess on that note, something that we always seem to forget these are young people. These are not professional athletes. These are not 40-year-old you know, mothers and fathers. These, these are young people, and I think because they've become so good at what they do and because they're so well-spoken that a lot of times we forget they're young people, right? Absolutely. These are kids that are growing up, and, and they, uh, you know, as, uh, as our ads say, there's 400,000 of them, almost all of whom will go professional in something other than sports. You know, that's exactly right. You know, for them, sports is not a job. This is their avocation. They do it because they love it. They, they uh, yeah, of course a number of them would love to go play professional basketball or football, but the vast majority of them uh, don't have those intentions. This is just part of what they do as they grow up and develop. And, uh, and, and frankly, it's a great thrill for all of us to get to watch that occur. And it's, it's too easy to forget when you're watching somebody in football pads or you're seeing somebody do some physical act that uh, is, is just amazing that you're dealing with, you're talking about and watching and dealing with 18 to 21 year old kids and uh, that's the business we're in. We're in the education and development business. Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA. Mark, I've enjoyed this conversation and I wish you the best of luck going forward. I hope we can catch up again soon. I'm sure we can. Thanks, Brian. My pleasure. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back in a few tidbits before we leave you this week. Actor Matt Damon is set to play Lance Armstrong in a long gestating biopic about the Tour de France champion that may never get made. 
Damon also will narrate the new documentary about Armstrong by director Alex Gibney, who centers his Armstrong movie on the cyclist's much-touted comeback at the 2009 Tour de France. Gibney said he chose Damon because he knew many cycling fans were aware of Damon's attachment to the Armstrong feature and wanted to give them another point of connection. Griggs, it's only a matter of time, as I think most people knew. Lance Armstrong has a fascinating story from his battle back from cancer through lots of controversy over the course of his career. This should be an interesting movie. I'll go see it. For sure. And Matt Damon's one of my favorites, and he does a great job. And, you know, it's cool when you see the athlete and actors come together. And it's been some good things in the past, so I'm looking forward to it. And Matt Damon's in good shape. He can uh, definitely ride those hills. Last tidbit of the week, SCP Auctions from October 27th through November 13th will run an online auction featuring Baseball Hall of Famer Kirk Gibson's bat and helmet from Game 1 of the 1988 Dodgers A's World Series, as well as Gibson's home and road uniforms, World Series trophy, and MVP trophy from the 1988 season. Proceeds from the sale of the trophy and the MVP award will benefit the Kirk Gibson Foundation. Go to scpauctions.com for more information. You know, this is the type of rare memorabilia that raises a lot of money, and it's for a great cause, Kurt Gibson's foundation. I think it's pretty cool he's auctioning this stuff off. Very cool, and I mean, we all remember that game, and, and he's going to make some good money on that because it's definitely a popular item. Yeah, I would say in my lifetime, that's one of the top 10 most dramatic moments I've seen in sports. I want to thank Mark Emmert, the new president of the NCAA, for joining us. Really enjoyed our conversation. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, at the University of Oregon and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page. I'm on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a fantastic week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports